Hello, everyone. I'm Jacob Chastain, host of the Teach Me Teacher podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Dr. Sarah E. Rim Kaufman, author of the awesome book, SEL from the Start, Building Skills in K-5. through All classroom teachers and building administrators should read her book. Lots to learn today. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Sarah E. Rim Kaufman, PhD, is, is the Commonwealth Professor of Education at the University of Virginia School of Education and Human Development. She lives in Charlottesville. She and her research group at, at UVA Social Development Lab, which you can find at www.socialdevelopmentlab.org, conduct research on elementary and middle school classrooms with the goal of developing roadmaps for administrators and teachers making decisions for children and youth. Today, we're talking about her book, SEL from the Start, Building Skills in K-5. through Sarah, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Thank you for having me. It's nice to meet you all. We're glad you're here. And uh, Sarah, let's get into your book, SEL from the Start, Building Skills in K-5, through by first defining what you mean when you use the term SEL. I refer to SEL as social-emotional learning. Students, children, youth, they're always learning social and emotional skills. Adults are also learning about social and emotional skills. They're always learning these skills. It's part of development. Uh, There are five key skills that I describe, relationship skills, social awareness, self-management, self-awareness, and effective decision-making. And those are skills that are described by CASEL, which is the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. I add a little bit to those definitions that are advanced by CASEL and, uh, you know, think that these are really key skills that all children and adults should learn. Excellent. 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 So, and um, let's get into something that you just talked about, which is in the introduction to SEL from the start, you note that you focus on the five social and emotional competencies described by the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, CASEL. Could you tell us about that organization? Sure, that organization is uh, out of um, University University of Illinois, Chicago. And what they have done is um, they've done really strong work about um, disseminating ideas around social emotional learning. They've done work to really make social emotional learning more systemic, to think about the ways that states and districts have guidelines and benchmarks for thinking about social emotional learning. And um, they've really done um, a lot of work around disseminating these ideas. Excellent. They, uh, I just kind of wanted to make sure that, because that, that seems to be a big part of it, because that's where the, the terms came from. Mm-hmm. Um, correctly mm-hmm. that you're using those competencies and we've mentioned a little bit about the five competencies that you identify and uh, just to kind of go over them again one was relationship skills uh two was social awareness three was self-management four self-awareness and uh self-awareness and effective decision making um is there 
one that's more important than the other or is it just, I mean, how's that, uh, is it kind of an interaction like that or can you just, mm -hmm. is, it, is there any more you can share about those? Sure. So they're all important and they're all developing. They're all a normal part of child development. And teachers are a part of children's context for child development. So teachers can teach kids certain things and promote these skills in really positive ways. So they're all important and they're all really related to each other. You can't have good relationships with people unless you're aware, you're socially aware of the way that um, their experiences might be different or they might be looking at things from a different point of view. Excellent. Thanks. The, you know, before we go any further, I got to make sure I say this. And, we, and before I start recording, we talked about this also, which is, uh, um, I love the formatting of the book. I, it's really cool. And um, from the size, I mean, it's a square book, which is really cool. So it makes it easy to hold. It, um, and uh, just, just as a note, I've been walking around showing my colleagues going, check out this book. This is really neat. And, um, you know, it's, so it's easy to hold, but also the way each chapter is laid out. You know, what's really cool is you tell a story that relates to the focus of the chapter. You have a gray box that explains what does the research say, and you explain how to do what you're talking about. And then this is simplified into a section called Steps 4, and then there is a summary. You know, and, and I, just, I like this formatting because it's, it's the same throughout the book, and so you know what to expect, and it's easy to read and easy to think about, and you don't need like uh, three translators to understand uh, <laughs> what you're talking about, which is really cool for practitioners to have that. So um, could, could you talk about the design and formatting of, the, of SEL from the start? Sure. So I'll, I'll tell you, I really wanted to create a book that was really accessible. So I've been studying social emotional learning for the last 20 years, and I write a lot of research papers about social emotional learning, and I've spent countless hours in schools and working with teachers. And then I've also um, taught people who are planning on, be planning on being teachers um, as undergraduates. And so, um, and, um, so those things kind of came together in the creation of this book. Um, then in terms of the content, I was working on a project where for three years we developed a set of lessons related to service learning. And one element of that is that kids need to develop social emotional skills. Whenever we shared these social emotional learning lessons with teachers, they got so excited and they said, this is how we want to start our year. And so I felt like, okay, it's my responsibility to bring this forth and to share this with teachers. Um, because so many teachers said, oh my goodness, we love these lessons, we love these ideas. So the idea was, and I mentioned this earlier to you, that I like to imagine that, you know, teachers are very busy people. So I like to imagine them sitting with this little book and waiting for the spin cycle to finish on the washing machine and they can, you know, read almost a whole chapter while they're waiting for that spin cycle to end. So it's, it's meant to be very accessible, very practical. All of the examples in it are based on real classroom examples from teachers. Um, and so it's meant to just be like a really easy read. And it works perfectly because it, it, it is just like that. And it's like I said before, it's easy to hold and it, I could... Yeah, I could easily be sitting in there leaning against the washing machine going, okay, turn the page and, um, and add the soap and do, do well. So <laughs> um, I like that. So, but uh, I, I did want to say just that I love the formatting and it just really works well. So kudos on that. Um, Thank you. Thanks. 
you know, let, let's take a closer look at a couple of chapters. And chapter one is develop classroom norms. Uh, what are you talking about and why is it important enough to be first? Yeah. Well, every, every context, every social context has a set of norms. Sometimes they're just the ones that develop. And sometimes people are very explicit about what they want those norms to be. And my suggestion for elementary school teachers is they cultivate and create these norms with their students. The students become sort of aware of the importance of these norms and they feel bought in because they help create them. And it also says something about the culture that the whole group aspires to. Uh, I see this as really critically important in that it's one thing to develop a set of skills, but it's another to, have, to value social cohesion and to value the idea that even if someone's not someone who you'd want as your friend, you're still really gonna be caring and kind to that person and respectful to that person. So creating those norms sets the stage for that important work. I like that. So, so do you have one that's uh, like a favorite to, to use as an example, like if you were teaching this to your class at uh, the university and you said, uh, um, all right, so here's one that I like to include in my norms. Do you, do you have one like that that you like to use an example? Um, one of them that I kind of like is this idea of allowing everyone's space to talk and to learn. And I've heard this, this is something I've heard in upper elementary school classrooms. But whenever you're in a group, there's always those kind of eager beaver people who want to talk all the time. And then there's some people whose voices really need, amplify, need to be amplified. And as a teacher, that's really hard choreography, you know? Like you have to get, you want to amplify the voices of the kids who are the most quiet and you want to kind of dampen down those people who want to talk constantly. So what helps is if you establish some norms for, you know, creating space for other people to talk and for kids to be aware of, boy, this is the third time I've talked in, you know, 10 minutes, you know, in a short, you know, in this short little circle time, maybe I'll wait my turn. I like that. The, uh, cause I, I'm the, I'm the kid and adult who, <laughs> who, uh, someone's going to eventually say, so Steve, what do you think? <laughs> cause I'll, I'll get lost in the crowd if, if I'm allowed to. <laughs> and so. when, what I've seen teachers do that's really neat to amplify those voices, they use different ways of gathering that information so it's not just talking aloud. Um, so they'll set this as a norm and then sometimes what teachers will do is they'll say, okay, you can, you know, you can either answer aloud or you can write it on a card and then they'll read some of those cards so that those kids who usually you wouldn't hear from are, um, their voices are still heard. Um, and, um, but, but even just raising that as, to kids' awareness, because the exact kids who are always talking are the same ones who have no idea that this is an issue. Yes, <laughs> very much so. And uh, um, that, that's cool. Thank you. I, I, I like that. And it is, it's a neat chapter because it gets into those thoughts about uh, why and so forth. And I like that. So, you know, chapter two is one of my favorites teach active listening. Could you put this in context and share a little about how to teach active listening? Yeah, sure. So um, active listening is one of the most basic but challenging skills to learn. As an adult, I am still learning active listening. Um, 
I mean, elementary school teachers all see this. And the example that comes to mind is a kid coming in and saying, I got new shoes. And every kid wants to talk about the time they got new shoes. It could have been three years ago they got new <laughs> shoes. But it, there's like this explosion of discussion about everyone's own shoes. But if somebody is sharing and is saying, I got new shoes, if you're an active listener, what you would do is you would say, tell me about your new shoes. And where did you get those shoes? Are they comfy? You know, you know things like that, that you want to learn how to listen to other people and, and let other people tell their stories. So this lesson explicitly teaches about this idea of paraphrasing. And um, this idea that when somebody says something, you can repeat back, um, you know, you should be able to repeat back what it is they say. With little kids, um, when, they're, with, when teachers are teaching active listening, they encourage kids when they're not talking, when they're doing the listening, it might be helpful for them to put their hands over their mouths so that as a reminder that they're listening. Um, but this lesson has sort of a nice visual of, you know, what is what are ears doing? What are eyes doing? What is your heart doing when you're listening to someone? Um, and I see it as the most basic. It's very foundational for all the other skills that are, you know, developed later in this book. And it, it's, it's excellent too. I mean, there's, and there are some visuals in the chapter, which, uh, you know, uh, suggesting that the teacher could use in, in trying to make this uh, uh, understandable for the kids. And I like that. And, you know, this, and it's just a, uh, it is something that um, I think we constantly need reminders, <laughs> not, not everybody, but I know I do. <laughs> I have to remind myself. It's like, wait a second, you're starting to think about what you're getting ready to say. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, that well, it's funny in designing the figures, um, you know, we really tried to make, um, you know, when we were working on this project called Connect Science, we really tried to make the figures, you know, kind of map onto different genders and ethnicities and things like that. And when we got to the chapter on active listening, it was very interesting because as a group, we discussed the fact that white boys probably need the most development in this area, that white boys are much more likely to be given the floor to speak in our country. And, and, be, and um, that really honing in on what these skills are and thinking about the kids in your classroom who are from traditionally marginalized groups and thinking about how to amplify those voices, that's a really important task. So very interesting, very cool. So uh, let's move on to chapter seven. This is another one of my favorites. Uh, chapter seven is about persevering. And in the story in the beginning you share, after watching this scene play out, I understood why the student was goofing around. He was having a hard time seeing that anything that he did in math class amounted to much. Let's talk about this story and the importance of focusing on persevering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see, well, for really bright kids, Persevering, often they don't need to persevere until they're in upper elementary school grades. So there's a challenge here that different kids learn how to persevere at different times. And so often when kids start to have to persevere, they feel like something's wrong with them or they feel like the work should come easily to them 
or they get frustrated or they just say, I'm not interested in this. Persevering is really a challenging thing for kids to learn. Um, and in what it is, is when people are working on something difficult, there's a very negative emotion that they may experience while they're working on that difficult thing. And it's easier to just stop doing what it is than to persist in the presence of that negative emotion. But when, if they persist, then that negative feeling that they have then turns positive as they feel a sense of agency in their work. So it's a skill that needs to be taught very explicitly. And when people are having those negative feelings, like if they're working on a really tough math problem and they're having those negative feelings, it's helpful if they understand that's normal. You always have those negative feelings and then you keep persisting and then ta-da, you feel great because you've worked through a difficult problem. So understanding that is really useful. Um, the other thing that uh, comes through in that book, in, in that chapter, is that it's not, persevering doesn't mean like doing the same thing over and over. It actually means trying different strategies. And I think that um, that discussing that very explicitly with kids is very useful because very often they'll try the same thing over and over and over and then not achieve the goal and get frustrated. So helping them see, well, you've tried this, what else have you tried? And um, that can really open up different possibilities and help kids develop that skill of persevering. I, I, I really like this chapter because it's one of those, it's one of those thoughts that I, I think that sometimes when we're in the classroom, we forget that the kids are going through things like this. All right. So whether it's that they're, you know, they just don't get it. And so, you know, no matter what I do, I'm not going to get this right because it doesn't seem to work or they need a little encouragement or, you know, whatever it is that's causing them to, to back off from the problem. Like, uh, you know, I keep trying it this way and it turns out that they really don't understand this way, whatever this way is. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But that comes out if you spend some time trying to help them figure it out, get through it or whatever it is. And um, that's something that uh, I, I hate having to put together like shelves, you know, you buy like <laughs> mm -hmm. shelves and they come with the instructions. You're going, okay, yes, it's my eyes glass over and I'm going, really, you could look at all these a and B and AA and BB and CC and DEF. And it's like, what? And, you know, it's, and it's something that I've always been like, and I have to take a deep breath and kind of back off just a second, look at it and then start. But if I just immediately dive into those instructions and I've always kind of been this way. And it was interesting when a, uh, a professor of mine actually pointed it out to me when, with my approach to calculus, <laughs> made it a lot easier once he, he kind of identified what I was doing wrong, but um, that's another story for another time. Um, but I, I just, it just really speaks to me. I like this chapter. Well, you know, along those lines, I want to point something out is that you became aware of something you were, that you struggled with. Now, Teachers are struggling with things in the classroom all the time. And I think right now, especially teachers are struggling with the use of technology that's unfamiliar to them. They can model the frustration with kids. They can say, you know, I'm really frustrated because I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to try three different strategies and see if one of those works. And when they persevere 
and they achieve what it is they were trying to do, they can really be gleeful in front of the kids and show the, show the kids like, look at this. This was so hard for me and I figured it out. I'm really proud of myself. That's cool. I like that, especially because uh, you know, so many times adults don't want to share stuff like that because they, they want to be the that person who knows everything. And, it's, yeah. and instead, it, kids learn so much more from them actually getting through their own problem, <laughs> figuring it out. So very cool. I like that. I'm glad you added that. The, uh, you know, um, so we've talked about a couple of my favorites. What's one of your favorite uh, favorites from SEL um, from the you know, from the start, do you have a uh, favorite part or a message or chapter? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I do have a favorite chapter. Um, Chapter four is about multiple perspectives and taking the perspectives of people who are different than you. And it feels incredibly timely uh, because we live in a country that's very polarized and things are very divisive and it's easy to put people down. It's easy to criticize people. It's easy to judge people. That just comes naturally to us. But you really have to work to get to know people who hold views that are different than you. And that needs to be seen as an admirable quality. And so the goal of that chapter is to help kids hear something that they don't necessarily like or agree with. And instead of judging the person who's saying it, try to learn more about why that person feels that way. And so it's really about unpacking that process. Um, So it has a series of steps to go through with kids and to think through. And then um, the book suggests that you use a book where kids have different points of view on a, on, in a situation, there are a few book samples that I give in the in this um, in, in SEL from the start, and then um, there's some exercises to do where you say what is one perspective, what is another perspective, and then teach kids what are some questions you would learn more about that perspective you don't know anything about, and then how would you show respect for someone who holds that perspective. So I've seen this done in fourth and fifth grade classrooms related to our Connect Science work. And one of the um, examples that came up was um, some kids in the classroom like to hunt with their families and some kids were vegetarians. And so the uh, teacher led the kids in in an exercise to say, what kinds of questions would you ask to learn more about someone's hunting? What kinds of, what might you do to show respect for that person's hunting? What kinds of questions might you ask about a vegetarian? And what are some of the things you would do to show respect for that person who's chosen to be a vegetarian? So that's just sort of one example. Um, But it seems like it's a value that we really need in this country and in this world. Very cool. I, I, you know, it's, and it's something that you, you know, I taught, I was in a classroom a long time ago <laughs> and I te- work with adults now more than uh, kids. And well, that's an understatement. I work with adults more. <laughs> um, and, you know, and it's, and it's one of those things that you think about in, when uh, working, with, uh, uh, working with kids, there's any number of things that are going to happen. Everything from a child's making a presentation and they say something that uh, one of the children doesn't agree with and you have to deal with you know, suddenly on the spot, you're going to have to deal with that. And there's any number of things like that 
that can happen that bring out those uh, differences and such that uh, um, suddenly the teacher has got to have some tools in their toolbox to say, okay, how do I do this? (laughs) And it's interesting you bring that up because one of the themes of the book is that you want to teach these skills early on. So ideally at the beginning of the school year, because once an incident comes up, there might be a lot of emotion tied to that incident. And it's hard to teach. You can't really teach these basic skills in the heat of emotion. You need to teach them when kids are feeling calm and curious. And then once they have these skills in hand, then if an emotional situation comes up, you can say, remember, we talked about taking other people's perspective. What skills do you have that you can bring to this? So it's like, really, that's why it's SEL from the start, because it's about being very proactive and teaching these skills that are increasingly complex in the beginning of the year. And then you can draw from those skills for the whole year long. I like that. I like that. The, uh, and I appreciate you choosing, by the way, I have to say this. A lot of times when I ask somebody if they have a favorite part or something like this, they'll look at me and they'll go, now that's not fair. <laughs> so I appreciate you having a favorite part. Oh, I have a favorite <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm like, I, I always have to go to the minute and I say, now, come on, you have to have a favorite partner go, well, that's like asking me to choose between which one is the favorite child or something. <laughs> so thank you for having a favorite part. I appreciate that. <laughs> Sarah, in the very last chapter, uh, paragraph, actually the very last paragraph of SEL from the start, building skills in K through five, you say, by holding high expectations for student behavior and creating an atmosphere that contributes to learning for each and every child in your classroom, you are playing a crucial role in this maturational process. Could you talk about this comment in terms of a major takeaway from reading your book? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, um, I feel like right now, um, people are so hard on teachers. And what... I wanted to do with this book is elevate the important role that teachers play in children's lives and in adults' lives. So I feel like right now teachers need our support and that's a theme that runs through this book. And for years, I've seen so much research on the importance of teachers, the importance of high quality relationships between teachers and students and teachers having high expectations for students. There's so much compelling research about the importance of good relationships and high expectations. I really wanted that to come through in a message to teachers. Um, And I really want teachers to realize how important they are in children's lives and in adults' lives. Hey, it's awesome. I mean, it's, you know, having been a, I was a high school history teacher for for a long time. And, uh, you know, the, it's not just the class. If you then do what most teachers do, which is also then sponsor some activity or a club or coach something, then you're spending lots of hours with them and you can have a major impact on, on uh, a positive impact on, on thoughts and ideas and, you know, getting along with each other and things like that. And it's, uh, it's cool. So that, yeah, the, a lot of times I think, you know, they're the negative messages that happen, um, kind of this could sound dorky but you know it's like kind of like keep your chin up you know it's like because you have this major impact Mm -hmm. and uh keep going so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i love that message i love what you say that last message in that last paragraph there it's awesome and Mm -hmm. uh appreciate it 
So, Sarah, after reading your book, SEL from the Start, Building Skills in K-5, through what advice would you suggest to a classroom teacher about introducing SEL into her classroom? Okay. Well, so often teachers don't know where to start. And um, I feel like this book helps teachers know where to start. And there are a few really important ideas. One is that kids are always learning social-emotional skills. And as a teacher, you can be intentional so that the skills they're learning are positive as opposed to negative <laughs> because they are absorbing what they hear their teachers say, what they hear students say. And so you wanna be very intentional about that. That's one key message. The other idea here is that learning social emotional skills, like many other types of learning, is something that is step-by-step step, and it needs to be broken down into small pieces where kids get an opportunity to try out ideas and practice ideas and practice skills and they can become increasingly complex over time. So you start with really simple active listening and that sets the stage for respectful communication which is a little bit more complex. And that sets the stage for being able to take other people's perspective. So it's like a cumulative process. And as you're teaching it, you want to make sure you do it in a situation that feels very safe and not overly emotional. Like you don't want to say, okay, you know, who's, who's, who's better, the Cubs or the White Sox, and have a discussion about that. You want to say like, do you like vanilla ice cream or chocolate ice cream? Like something kind of maybe that people won't be too riled up about. You won't feel like they have too much at stake with because you want them to practice the skills without feeling like, oh my gosh, it's chocolate ice cream or bust, you know? Um, so you really want to work up to this emotionally. So kids have lots of practice with these skills in situations that are not emotionally heated. Then once you're in an emotionally heated situation, they've got the skill in hand and they can use it. So that's another another piece. I like that. I like that a lot. And and, and I would think that the no, going back to chapter one, that the norms come into play there as well. If you got those, because the the because you know I taught my favorite age group to teach for tenth graders, and they could argue about anything. All right, <laughs> and um, but if you had those in place, you know, because I, I I guarantee you that vanilla versus chocolate would have been a major discussion if we if we didn't have uh, some sort of control over that that topic, but. Uh, um, good stuff there. I, I, and, uh, yeah, and Cubs versus White Sox could really get out of control if you had one favorite or the other. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. I think the other message is that so often people feel like if they're going to do social emotional learning, they need to, they need to get a program and they look at all the different programs and that can be really overwhelming, but actually social emotional learning is the way that you talk to kids and interact with kids on a daily basis. It's what you do in the spaces. So like, you know, you're standing in line. What kinds of conversations are you having with kids? Well, you can have conversations that are actually going to promote their social emotional competence. I like that. I like that a lot. Cause that's, I, I sometimes I think uh, as adults, we forget the power, it, just the, just a conversation talking with a child, like at, at, in the cafeteria at lunchtime mm -hmm. and, uh, or interceding as whatever the discussion that's going on. And uh, yeah, I, I, I like what you do, where you're going with it. That's very cool. So good stuff. I, Sarah, we're getting ready to close. We're getting uh, close to finishing up here. If someone wanted to connect further with you or learn more about 
SEL from the start, building skills in K through five, where would you send them? Mm -hmm. So here's what I would love to see happen. Apparently, if a whole school wants to adopt SEL from the start, they can get a big discount from the district. And I would love to see some just some schools or districts take this on and um, have a conversation as, um, you know, in, you know, in their part of their professional learning communities or their grade level meetings and talk about the ideas in this book. And if educators are doing that and they want me to join them online for a conversation, I would be delighted. I would be glad to do that because I just feel like it makes, um, you know, it kind of makes SEL much more accessible. So I would say that's, that's how this book can be used. Very cool. I like that. And I like that whole, uh, that idea of being able to do some sort of like a, a group uh, book talk or discussion um, with you on, online. That'd be awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Mm-hmm. The uh, last two questions, and they go like this. Um, when life gets tough and you start getting so much stuff thrown at you, you know, that you may want to quit, how do you keep going? So I always think about this anecdote that this gem of research that came out of some work on sixth graders that they went to these individual sixth graders and they had these interviews with sixth graders and they said, so who is a very important person in your life who is a role model for you and who teaches you a lot about how to live and how to be and someone you really deeply care about. And the sixth graders would all describe a particular adult. Then this research team went to those adults and said, okay, so-and-so chose you as an important adult in their life. And the teachers were, had no idea. They had no idea that these kids thought that they were an important adult in their life. And so I suppose the reminder, the constant reminder that of how important the work is um, and um, just, I mean, I hope that teachers are surrounding themselves with people who are positive and who are seeing the good in what they're doing. That's excellent. You know, it's, it, I think we've, it's easy to forget or not think about or be blinded by everything else that's going on. You know, it's, it's funny because what you just made me think about was something I haven't thought about in a long time when uh, one of my favorite teachers was my sixth grade. Uh, I went to school when, you know, K, it was K through six, right? <laughs> and, and so my sixth grade uh, teacher, um, Mr. Williams, never forget him. They, uh, um, I, I enjoyed his class and I liked his class and I liked the way he ran things and I could be more specific another time. But, it's, but it was interesting because how much the impact he made on me was when I went off to basic training for the army mm. after, so this is a bunch of years later. I mean, I hadn't seen him since I left sixth grade and uh, I went back to see him after I graduated from basic training in the army and he was principal of that school then. And uh, I went and found him and, and chit chatted with him and it was, it was fun. And, and uh, there, it was, uh, it was just neat. I mean, this, I was that quiet kid that, did my work and all that sort of stuff. And I went and saw him and, and I think he was kind of like just taken aback, not the kid that he thought he was, would see. And I think it's neat what you're talking about. Cause I think we forget about, you know, that, that impact that, uh, that they can have and it. And you may not know it for a whole bunch of years down the road. <laughs> yeah. And, 
not just the kids, the families. So we've entered into a period where people, where families, it's very easy to get angry at teachers. It's easy for families to blame teachers and teachers to blame families. When things go well, children are so much better family members. When they have an amazing teacher that inspires them, they, it, it is really noticeable to those family members. That's so cool and so right. So right. So good stuff. So last question, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? I have so, I have so many, I've had so many good teachers. Um, that's a great question. You know, it's interesting because I go right to my um, kids' teachers but then I, when I push myself and think about my own teachers, it would have to be some teachers I had in high school. There was an English teacher who actually wanted me to write what I really thought, not just like answer the questions that, you know, like say what I thought he wanted to see in my writing. There was a theater teacher who kept stretching me beyond the way I wanted to be stretched. And I pushed back because I did not like being stretched that way, but ultimately it was really good for me. There was a social studies teacher that taught me so much about US history that I just never knew before and helped me realize my place in US history and how relevant it was to you know, the day-to-day -day events that were happening. So I would point to a few of these high school teachers who made a difference. I have hundreds who have, I mean, I just, maybe not hundreds, but I could list 50 teachers who were really important in my life. That's excellent. That's cool. That's, uh, you know, it's neat when you have those thoughts and uh, um, think back and why and be able to say why. I mean, that just tells you the power, uh, the, the, the interactions that you had and how positive they were because you can think about and you're able to to say each and everything about them. So thanks for sharing. Mm -hmm. I, I, that is so cool. And uh, um, I hope it makes, you know, listeners think about that as well. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for talking with me today. Your book, SEL from the Start, Building Skills in K-5 through is easy to read and understand. You do an awesome job of explaining what SEL in the K-5 through classroom looks like and how to focus on its key concepts. I love the formatting and topic and all classroom teachers and building principles. Notice I concluded building principles should take time to read and use SEL from the start, building skills in K through five. Wishing you the best in all that you do. Thank you, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. <laughs> The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends. Hey.